May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The words I just read to you are the words of St. Paul. And we heard them read for us in our epistle lesson this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, and in particular verses 10 and 11. Now, as I prepared for this morning, I was torn. There were two different directions I thought about going with this sermon and two different parallels that I thought about presenting. One was that of wrestling. Paul says in verse 12, immediately following what I just read, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so on. And immediately my mind went to another famous wrestler of the Bible. And it wasn't Samson, the Bible's physically strongest man, or rather Jacob. The one known as the conniver or the deceiver. His whole life was that of wrestling in one way or another. He wrestled with his father. He wrestled with his brother Esau. He wrestled with his uncle Laban. He wrestled with his wives. He wrestled with his children. He wrestled with the pain of of losing his son. Or at least thinking he lost his son. Jacob wrestled a lot. But in particular, there's a story of Jacob actually wrestling against God. So much so that in the end, his name is changed to Israel and he is left with a physical injury for the rest of his life as a mark of that wrestling with God. And so I thought about going that route. But then I thought I'll save Jacob's wrestling for another sermon or two. Perhaps I'll do that here in the near future. We'll have to wait and see. The other parallel, however, is perhaps the better and the more suited parallel. And that's the story of Joshua and the Israelites as they prepare to enter the promised land. There's an interesting parallel between the Ephesians and that Old Testament story. And it's because of this reason that I had Tim change our appointed Old Testament lesson of Isaiah 59 to that of Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 31 as we look at a couple of those verses in there, or at least read through them. I think that to understand Paul's perspective and understanding in Ephesians chapter 6, we should have this backdrop of Joshua. The kids just did this story in youth group with Heidi a couple of weeks ago. They learned about Joshua and the battle against Jericho. Joshua and and the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. They're now 40 years removed from the crossing of the Red Sea. They've been in what we call the wilderness wandering for 40 years. The first generation who God punished for their untrusting and unfaithful hearts have all died. And now the next generation are preparing to cross the Jordan into the land promised by God. And as they prepare, Moses reiterates the second reading of the law in Deuteronomy. 
I mean, if you didn't know, the name Deuteronomy gets its name from the Latin and simply means second law. It was the reiteration of the covenantal law given to the second generation. And as they prepare to inherit and receive the promise of God, as they prepare to live as the promised people of God, as they prepare to be the holy people of God, they're given a word of advice and an exhortation. And if you did open your Bibles, look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. And here Moses is talking to the congregation of Israel. And he says, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And then continuing in verse 7 and 8, Moses speaks directly to Joshua. Moses is about to die, and he knows that he's not going into the promised land. And he knows that Joshua would now be the leader of the people. And so Moses says directly to Joshua in verses 7 and 8, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Twice we hear it. Twice God says it through Moses. And let's just flip a few pages later in your Bible to Joshua chapter 1. It's the next book in the Bible. And let's read Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And here God is speaking to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And then in the beginning of verse 7, he says again, only be strong and very courageous. Are you picking up the theme here? Now look at verse 9 of Joshua chapter 1. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And finally, let's look at the last verse of chapter 1 of Joshua. Verse 18. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, in all that you command him shall be put to, shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. We find Moses saying it on behalf of God to the people. We find Moses saying it as leader to leader with Joshua. We find God saying it to Joshua. And then we find Joshua saying it to the people. And then then that last one in the Joshua 1 verse 18, the people are actually saying it back to Joshua. And what's the theme? Be strong and of a good courage. For the Lord your God goes before you. God will not leave you nor forsake you. Here it seems 
a millennium and a half before, 1,500 years roughly, we find the words and exhortation of St. Paul today in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. As Paul sits in his prison cell, as he sits imprisoned by others, he writes this epistle, this letter to the church at Ephesus. And he has a story to tell them. And a few weeks ago, I went over some of the basic theme of that letter. Namely, how in the beginning, Paul reminds these Gentiles of the wondrous gift and grace that they have received in Jesus Christ. How they've been set free from this life of darkness. How they've been brought into his marvelous light. How by God's grace and by God's promise and work in Jesus, they have been seated in heavenly places and received an an eternal inheritance. One can see how Paul's own personal position in jail is set against this picture of freedom and joyousness. But you can also see the backdrop of the Israelites. They were brought out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt. They were delivered from the veil of darkness. And now they sat literally on the banks of the Jordan, ready to inherit the heavenly promises of God as the people of God. And the word of exhortation to them is be strong and courageous. Or as St. Paul would say, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why? Because there are battles to receiving the inheritance. As God says those words to Moses and to Joshua, and as those leaders say those words to the Israelites on the banks of the Jordan, we know the very next story. They had to go and get the land. They had to cross the Jordan and go to Jericho, and after Jericho to Ai, and after Ai to all the other cities in the land. And there was battle, there was trial. There was temptation along the way. And what we discover in the backdrop of this Old Testament story is that such a race is not to be run. Such a battle is not to be fought by our own power, but rather with and by the power of the Lord. The Israelites crossed the Jordan, and they did so in a miraculous fashion. The Ark of the Covenant went first, and as soon as it entered the overflowing river at the time, it stood still such that everyone could cross. And then as they approached under the city of Jericho, the armies of the twelve tribes of Israel marched around the city once each day, and seven times on the seventh day, and then the priests blew the trumpet, and the men shouted, and what happened? The walls fell. By the might and power of God alone, the Israelites were victorious in battle. And then as they moved through the promised land from city to city, we discover that when the Lord led them forth in battle, as they carried the Ark of the Covenant before them, they were victorious. And it's with this imagery in mind that we must see St. Paul's words today. Paul just described the Christian's benefit and inheritance to the Ephesians. Paul just described the Christian life to the Ephesians. And in the end, Paul describes the Christian battle that every Christian must fight. Basically, Paul is saying that we have a victory in Jesus. 
We have an inheritance in Jesus. We have a promise in Jesus. But, and here's the big but. But, that requires that we press forward in battle to receive and attain those things, just as the Israelites did. Permit me to read you what St. Paul says elsewhere, which complements this understanding. After saying that he desires to know Christ and to attain to the resurrection, he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, he says. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The point being that just because we have the promise does not mean that we mustn't walk a certain path to receive it. Just because we have that blessed assurance, as we'll sing at communion time, does not mean that we will be free from all struggle. If anything, the struggle will become more real. The forces against us will become even more heightened. The battle will become even personally greater. So as St. Paul said, we must press forward. Or as he says elsewhere, we must run such that we might obtain. Or we must run with patience the race that is set before us. Or again, as he says, fighting the good fight of faith. And as we do, we must be certain to be strong and courageous and to stand firm in the mighty power of the Lord. Clad, if you will, in the Lord. Armed and endued with righteousness and salvation and truth and the gospel of peace and faith and the word of God. And friends, I'd like us to note that when St. Paul says in verse 11 of Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God that you might stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil, that word stand is not, not simply to be perceived as some sort of defensive posture. The passage is not simply the thought that we're seeking survival. The passage isn't expressing that we we stand back hesitantly, hoping and praying that somehow we'll survive the onslaught of spiritual attacks that are brought against us. I mean, I think sometimes we get stuck in those spots and in that mentality. We become victims or innocent bystanders of circumstances brought against us. And we pray that we can avoid them if possible. But if they do come our way, we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray that somehow we're just going to survive them. We become like children huddled in the back of a closet, just seeking to escape the woes. We think ourselves defenseless and we passively wait on the Lord to come and stand in front of us and to shield us. But that's not what St. Paul is saying here. Paul does not want us to be as children huddled in the back of a closet. Paul does not want our prayer simply to be, Lord, help me to escape this. Put on the armor of God, St. Paul says, that you might what? Stand and stand firm. That word is an active one. Actually, in Greek, 
The phrase is related to a military phrase. It's a warrior term that speaks of going out with readiness to actively engage, to actively fight and oppose. Like David voluntarily stepping forward and out in faith to take on the giant Goliath. Or Christ stepping out and actively going the path of Calvary. It's proactive instead of reactive. It's about standing in the face of our enemy in a defiant and a victorious way. Advancing forward so as to defeat and obtain like the Israelites advancing towards Jericho. Paul is saying you will go forth. And you will face enemies in this journey. You will face temptations. You will face circumstances. But you must go forth. And you must go forth with the right armor. And with the right power. And if armed with Christ-like graces, you will advance in victory. Because he is with you. Friends, we need to stand in victory before we even have the fullness of the victory. We need to stand and step forward in trusting faith into whatever circumstances before us. We need to stop, step up and say in our lives, not today, Satan. We need to step up and say, you will not have me this day. You will not discourage me. You will not tempt me away from God. You will not claim my soul. You will not defeat me because I belong to Christ. We stand and say, not today. For I know that God is sovereign and that being clad in the armor of the crucified and risen and ascended Christ, I will march forward unto victory. The great hymn writer Charles Wesley wrote in one of the verses that we sang for our gospel hymn, the following words. Words with which... I'll leave you as we close our time today. From strength to strength, go on. Wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. Be strong and of a good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord, your God, he is the one that goes before you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.